0: Starting a podcast can be very time-consuming. I've been doing it for more than three years now, and my biggest challenge was finding a way to distribute my episodes across major audio platforms in a way that was easy, effective, and free to use. That's when I came across Anchor. And the best part is that you can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Kalife. What's going on, everyone? This is George Kalife. We're back with another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. I'm here today joined by a friend who I recently met, actually, but he's based in Miami now, as I was told, previously in Minneapolis. A little bit jealous, you know, being in the Midwest right now. uh, Peter Taunton. So Peter was the founder and chairman of Snap Fitness I'm sure a lot of people listening, especially if you're in that fitness zone, you probably either heard, come across, or have been to one of their locations. Uh, it's it's you know, across worldwide. I think there's it's present in 18 locations. It's a franchise business, more than 2,000 employees, incredible brand behind this, uh, and also an incredible story behind how this all started. So can't wait to talk to Peter about this. He's also the, uh, the founder and chairman of the board of Lyft Brands, so basically taking that Experience that he's done in building Snap Fitness and helping expand and grow other fitness brands in both the private and the franchise sector. He's done that for about 30 plus years. The main man, Peter. Thanks for doing this, dude.
1: Hey, George. No, my pleasure. So yeah, it's 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 been a great run. I've been doing it for 35 years. Imagine that, right? Um, And it's been you know, had you asked me 35 years ago, did you ever think you'd build one of the largest wellness brands in the world? My answer would have been. Uh, Do I think I I will? No, probably. It's probably unlikely because I'm I'm a humble guy. And and so I would have said I doubt I doubt that I will, but I know I'm capable of doing it. So that's the big difference. I knew that I was certainly capable of building a global brand. But had you asked me, boy, did you ever think you'd have six thousand locations in twenty eight countries? I'd say, wow, um, what a blessing. Right. So. I'm, yeah I appreciate the entire journey the 35 year journey that I've been on I, I've loved every minute of it. it 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 hasn't all been up and to the right and kittens balloons and butterflies you know there's 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 road rash along the way like any entrepreneur and I think that's what resonates with with the people who follow me is that I give it to you raw and real I, I give you real life experiences so in today's day and age as you know with Instagram there's a lot of fakes out there yes, sir. there's a lot there's a lot of people standing in front of their fake jet, not their Ferrari, and, and, and they're saying, give me $20 a month and I'll make you a millionaire. You know, I'll make you ten grand a month in three months. You know, just none of that nonsense. So I'm one of the few that kind of stand up and say, look, I'm going to give it to you real and raw, and, uh, and hopefully you can take, from, take little bits and pieces of my journey mm-hmm. and leverage it in a positive way towards your own entrepreneurial freedom.
0: I was listening to one of your things and just talking about this this whole sort of uh, glamorizing of of entrepreneurship, as we do see now. Uh, And I I heard, you know, one of your stories was, uh, I think you worked for your dad's grocery store. So you kind of come from this long line of entrepreneurship. It was probably the the best education you received in business. So were you always this entrepreneur or was it because of your father that kind of grit, the hustle that really encouraged you to get into this whole
1: thing? Well, you know what? I, 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 I attribute a lot of it to my father. My, my father was, he was the one, the hardest working man I've ever known for real. Right. And, and he had a small grocery store in in my hometown. And what I loved about my dad is nothing was off limits for him. He owned the grocery store, but one minute you'd see him bagging groceries. The next minute you'd see him stocking shelves. The next minute he'd be back in the bakery in the next minute he'd be shoveling the sidewalk in a Minnesota winter right so look nothing was off limits and i think that people that the people that w- that work for him would just admire that that he's not above anything he's he's going to get right in the trenches with you and i i think that people really appreciate that that type of character
0: yeah that's very interesting i mean especially when you think of the, that kind of ceo context in yeah. today's world not a lot of people would want to roll up their sleeves and you know, clean the kitchen or stock up the fridge, especially if you're in a startup world for you, you know, getting into kind of entrepreneurship and seeing that, what was your dad really your biggest role model in entrepreneurship? Was he always the guy you looked up to?
1: Yeah, he is. And you know what? I share, I share a story often about, um, my dad, he had this grocery store and when I was eight years old, he gave me an opportunity to sell popcorn in front of his store. Okay. And I had this little popcorn stand, and I remember one day my dad's walking by me, and he's about 30, 40 feet past me. He stops dead in his tracks. Okay, as an 8-year-old, I'm going to let you know, brother, that's never a good sign, right? So he stops dead in his tracks. He pivots, and I'll be damned if he's not coming right at me, right? So he stops, and he says, hey, Peter, how are sales? And I go, well, they're not very good, Dad. And he says, do you know why? And I said, no, it, maybe business is just kind of slow in the store. I'm trying to come up with anything that an eight-year-old mind can can come up with, right? He goes, no, son, you're not selling anything because you're not getting out from behind the desk. Get out from behind the popcorn stand. So literally, I got out from behind that popcorn stand, and these people would walk by, and I'd say, would you like some popcorn? It's, I just It's freshly popped, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, who could say no to a little 8-year-old boy who's out there hustling, right? Yeah. So, you know, my sales jumped dramatically and uh, you know, so what what what, what did that teach me? Hey, look, you got to go get it. It's not going to come to you. So, that's a great lesson at an 8-year-old. And number 2, you, you know what? Just being 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 present and 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 interacting with adults as an 8-year-old uh interacting with, you know, 30, 40, 50-year-olds it was just great experience for me. Now, I didn't know at the time that it was great experience, but as I sit and reflect on it now, that was that was the crack in the door that I needed about learning how to communicate with people mm. and and relate to people.
0: Yeah, man, you, you bring up a really good point. My mentor always tells me this the same thing as well, especially sort of earlier in my career, being on the sales side, the, the biz dev side, always would tell me, George, nothing ever good comes from sitting at your desk, man. Like obviously, you know, there, there's a portion of that um, you know, during a, a week or whatever, but most of the times, if 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 you want to, something to happen, you got to be hustling. You got you know, you almost have to go above and beyond what everybody else is doing. So I love that point.
1: It's you know, it's so true. And I and I'm not here to pick on millennials, but I have three kids who who are millennials, right? And I and my my kids, I tell them, hey, look. For some reason in today's workforce, I've never seen anything like it, but I see, I see kids that graduate from college, they come in, they say, Peter, you know, I want to make $80,000 a year, I want to work uh, three days in the office, two days at home, I want three weeks paid vacation, full medical uh, stock, you know, and I'm, I'm listening to this on and, on and on and on and on, and I'm thinking, my gosh, right, all those things come in time,
0: yeah.
1: but to come out of college with zero experience and making these high demands... I've never seen anything like it. And and then when they and then when they do come in and go to work, they're average why? Because they don't they refuse to lean in and give you that little extra extra effort, right? So yeah. I I always tell my kids, "Hey, look. Lean in, chase it down, right? So if you if you can lean in at, at, at your job and ask questions and be a quick learner and go above and beyond. If you can do that, you're in the top 10% of the workforce that's out there today." Make yeah. no mistake about it. Top 10%. But it's yours if you want it. If you just want to be average, be average. And then you're going to end up just like that. You're going to be just an average person. And that's okay, too. But don't, don't dream about jets and yachts and fancy sports cars being average. It doesn't work that way.
0: Yeah. What's interesting about your story, too, is I don't think, you know, in the beginning, like, you really put in the work. And what I, what I appreciate even more is you were never that, like, it's been 35 years and only up until now. After, you know, you've basically went through the ringer that now you're sort of, you know, talking about your story, sharing your experiences to help other people. Um, when you were, because I think you played professional, uh, was it squash? Racquetball. Racquetball. So you, you played professional racquetball and at some point in time, some opportunity came up at a gym. So walk me through that. Like, was it just the yeah. opportune time, or or were you actually chasing for something there?
1: Oh, you, you know what? I was. I've been blessed my entire life. So uh, as I sit back and reflect today, I think about all the little life journeys that, the twists and turns that happened in my life, and that's why I'm. So, I have such a strong faith today because as I reflect, I, I I pinch myself and I say, "There's no reason I should be where I am today. There's no reason that I should have." accumulated a nine figure net worth. That's just unheard of, right? I, I keep in mind, I quit, I quit college, George, right? I quit college my junior year, right? So racquetball put me in a place where it was, it put me in an environment that I knew that I loved. I love sports. I had an opportunity to travel around the country. I love that. And there was a club that was failing. And I remember having a conversation with the five owners of the, at the time telling them, look, and this was the club that I played at every day as, as a young kid learning how to play the game. So when I was in that club for four or five, six hours a day, I would watch the manager, right? So I knew what he was doing or what he was not doing because I was there every day, right? So anyway, before I moved to Orlando, Florida, I, I had breakfast with a couple of the guys. And I said, look, as long as you have that guy running your club, you're going to continue to lose money. I just want you to know that he's not your guy right? And then as I left, I said, look, if you guys ever want to turn this club around, give me a call. A year and a half later, my phone rang. Who was it? The owners. And they said, Peter, here's what we'll do. You come back and you run this club. And if you can turn this club around, we're going to pay you $16,000 a year. That's right, George. That's not a typo. $16,000, six, right? That's, I, don't, I don't know if that's poverty, but you can for damn sure see poverty from there, right? So, <laughs> But they said, hey, look, if you turn it around, we'll let you buy us out with the profits that it generates. So that was my opportunity. They didn't know. You know what? I had the heart of a lion. I had nothing to lose. I remember my first question, what is the what's my marketing budget? Right. They said, "Uh, maybe you didn't hear us. We've been feeding this thing 200,000 a year um, for the last five years. Every every year we got to kick in 200,000 just to pay the bills. So there was no budget. So I went around the community and I bartered. I, I went into the carpet store and I said, look, I don't have money, but I have, but I have memberships. So I'd like to trade you memberships for carpet. Mm-hmm. And I started in the lobby because I said, you know, the first time people walk in the door, I want them to see this new club. I want them to know that I cared. Right. Well, the, the rest, the rest is history. In five years, I took a club that was losing 200,000 to making 250,000. And it was purely by this young guy working hard, actually caring about the business, trying to know every member by name, right? And that's just, it resonated with that community. And that was my springboard. And I was fearless because when you start with nothing, George, you're fearless. So I knew what the bottom felt like because I lived there, right? So I said, look, as soon as I got half the debt paid down, I went right back to the bank. And I said, I'd like a loan. They said, what for? I want to build another club. Right. And they looked at me like I was crazy. But I said, look, you know, I know how to do this. So I built I ended up building six clubs over the over the next 20 years. Sold them all. And and then was was, you know, I hate to say, I hate to use the word retirement, but I was semi retired. I, I like the word transitioning. I was transitioning Into something of what I didn't know what yet. And that's, and that, when I had that moment of reprieve, where sometimes, like you say, you can take a step back and take a deep breath and say, okay, what's next for me? That's when the idea of Snap Fitness came about. I said, you know what, I'm going to build a smaller club. It's not going to have swimming pools and climbing walls and daycare and aerobic classes and racquetball courts. So suddenly this club was like three to 5,000 square feet. Mm. Well, the rest is history. The unit level economics fell right in place. um, And I I was one of the fastest growing uh, health and wellness brands in, in the country. One year, believe it or not, George, I opened 377 new clubs in one year. Okay, so I knew systems and processes. I knew scale. I knew how to market a product that would resonate with the general public. So I had all of that locked down. And I also knew how to hire good people. And, and I can't stress that enough. You know what? I may have built one of the largest wellness brands in the world, but made no mistake about it. Man, I had some people that worked for me that if a hand grenade came in the room, they'd dive on it for me. They were loyal. They were hardworking. And, you know, they, they loved the business that we had created. So for that, I'm, I'm forever grateful and i am friends with, with, with many of them still.
0: How old were you when, when this sort of transition, like you basically met up with the guys a year and a half later, they call you up. They say, listen, we want you to take over.
1: How old were you then? I think I'm thinking, you know, rough and tough. I was probably, uh, boy, turning the clock, I was probably 22. Wow. Living in Orlando, Florida.
0: That's crazy, man.
1: Had a so mullet. you get this call. You get oh, this
0: call. And then what do you think? What's the first thing that comes to your mind?
1: Well, a little bit. My first was probably a little bit of holy shit, right? You know? I got the call, right? Mm-hmm. And, right, I'm, right. It's getting, it's getting real, and I didn't. I, I'd never managed people before, other than my little popcorn business, right? Which is managing myself, right? Yeah. So um, it was it was good, but I looked at it as an opportunity. I was not. Af- I was never afraid of it. Mm. And, in fact, you know, one of the first days at work, when I went in to actually meet the staff, I I I told the staff, "Hey, look, everybody, we're going to meet tomorrow morning at the club, eight o'clock. Everybody, come." and have cleaning clothes on, have clothes on because we're going to clean this club from corner to corner because the club was a pigsty. I get there, and before I'm getting ready to get started, to start delegating who's going to be cleaning what and kind of d- divide and conquering, but five people step forward and this one this one woman says, hey, Peter, I've got something I'd like to share with you. And I said, well, by all means, what, what, what's up? She goes, uh, we don't clean, right? And I'm like, well, we don't clean. So that's a pivotal moment in itself. Those are, to me, those are character building moments. What do you do at that moment when you've got probably 60 people standing behind her and somebody stands up and says, oh, by the way, we don't clean. So my first reaction was, and you know what? You also don't have a job. And I pointed to the door, right? Now that for me, I was scared shitless. I didn't even know who I'd fired, to be honest with you. In fact, about an hour later, I said to the assistant manager, who was it that, that I just sacked anyway, right? So, you know, it was just a couple of aerobic instructors and some trainers and whatnot. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter. The message across the bow was, hey, look, you know what, everybody? We are sick and tired of being average. We're not going to be average anymore. So we're going to lean in and we're going to work hard. We're going to make people feel special. We're going to make them feel loved. We're going to deliver on our promise. And that's how we're going to grow this business. And anyone who's not part of that, there's the door, Right. It worked, okay? It worked. And and that's and that's my model today. Look, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to try to be better than anyone else at it, period. I'm getting ready to launch a CBD oil company here in about a month. My goal, I want to be better than anyone else at it, period. End of story.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love that sort of competitive drive. It seems to me too, even at a young age, you're always resourceful. Like I was listening to a podcast this morning that, that said, I think people complain about having a lack of resource re, or resources, but I feel like if you look at any successful person, it's always about you know being the most resourceful that you can be and leveraging what you have in the moment. Like right. you go to the carpet carpet store and kind of bartering you know memberships just to to get your your place cleaned up. I think that's a, that's a prime example. And so, how did you like? Did you instinctively know this this stuff? I mean, it sounds crazy because you've never had like the the formal education per se. The, the previous business which you exited successfully was the popcorn business. Like it just seems
1: yeah
0: it seems crazy. This was like intuitive for
1: you. It's intuitive, and you know what I always say. I would rather be, I'd rather be street smart than book smart any day. Okay. 100%. And, and that's what I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a street fighter, right? So I'm, I'm very innovative. I'm an innovative thinker. I can see, I can, I can anticipate problems and, and, and figure out ways to avoid them. Um, so, I, you know, I've always been very, very fortunate that way, but, but honestly going in and, and, and being, and just having hat in hand, mm. not coming in, like you're going to be some slick, fast talking sales guy. I just said, Hey, look, I'm managing this health club up the road and I need carpet and I don't have money, but I have, but, but I have memberships and I, you know, I'll, and I told him I'll set up individual programs for all of your employees. We'll make it fun. We'll do, you know, I mean, I just said, this is what I'll do for you. And I delivered on my promise. And every time I delivered on my promise, I would go to other people. Keep in mind, I went, I didn't just go to one carpet store. I went to every carpet store. I went to every painter, every electrician, all right, because we need to rewire fixtures and so nothing was off the table. But I would tell him, hey, look, this is what I did for so-and-so over at floor to ceiling store. And if you don't and you know what, you don't need to believe me. Call him and ask him what I did for him. So when you stand behind, when you when you stand behind what you say you're going to do, which is true in anything in life, if you just man up. And deliver on your promise. Pretty soon, people start advocating for you, and good things start to happen. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I always say, you know what? The A students work for the C students, right? One hundred
0: percent, man. I always, <laughs> I always love that.
1: I do too. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, not in, it's you know maybe not in every case, but for damn sure, I know more average students that are that are that are kicking butt, taking names. And they, and they get people to fall in line and follow them because, you know what, they're hardworking, they know how to mentor, they know how to sweat, they know how to cry, they know how to be vulnerable, they know how to be real, right?
0: Yeah.
1: And that's what people gravitate for. Just look, give it to me real. Spare me the bullshit, give it to me real.
0: Yeah, I I love that part of you being genuine. I think that's what I got from it, at least. Like when you would go to these carpet stores, you you weren't selling bullshit. Basically, you just gave it to them raw, right? Like this is this is my position. This is what I can do for you. So you're showing value, and I, I'd love to help you out in, in in any way I can at this point in time. And they yeah. delivered on it. I'm, you know what's funny when you're when you're sort of telling this story of Snap Fitness, the the sort of comparison I have in mind, and I don't know if you've ever gone this before, but it's Dana White with with building the UFC. And it's funny because there are some comparisons there. And I kind of wanted to know, because I know Dana at some point got into a place where he was literally about to sell the UFC before you know it became what it is today. Did you ever get to that brink, uh, sort of brinking point or like edge where you're like, man, screw this. I've given it everything I could, and I think I'm going to give up at this point. Did you ever get there?
1: No, I didn't. But I had some gut-wrenching moments. I mean, I remember one night. It was about 3 in the morning. And I remember I w- I, at the time I was living with my parents, right? Because Why? I had no money, okay? I was making 16,000 a year, if you recall, right? So I'm I, living with my parents. I remember it's three in the morning. I had written payroll checks out and I had no money in the checkbook, okay? So the next day, checks are gonna start bouncing over the next two to three days, okay, for my 60 employees. And I remember I'm sitting in the kitchen and I'm literally crying. I'm literally crying like a little, little girl, right? Tears streaming down my face. I was just, I felt broken. I felt like, my God, this is the, this is the end. And, and I remember my mother waking up. I don't know how she heard me. She wakes up and I feel a hand on, on, the, on the back of my neck. And, and, right? and she just rubs my neck for a little while and she goes, she says, Peter, you will fight your way through this. It's her exact words. You will fight your way through this. And I kinda, and, then, and then she went back off to bed. That's all she said. And she went back off to bed. And it was, I guess, so I gathered my composure and I said, you know what? That's what that's what you're going to do, Peter. You're going to fight. Right. And, and I did, and I, and I fought through it. I, I fought through it the next day, believe it or not, I had like three or four memberships come in where they prepaid their membership for the year. So suddenly I had made enough money in that day to cover the payroll checks. I clearly held on to my check because, you know, I, I'm going to be the last one to cash my check for sure. And it, it just happened to work out, but, Fast forwarding it to to you want to talk about you know, about the, the polar opposite, the antithesis of what I just experienced there. When I started Snap Fitness, and and I built Snap Fitness up to a point where it was generating about five million of EBITDA. It was about, I was about three four years into the business. I, I had everyone and their brother calling me wanting to invest in the company. I didn't. I started it with my own money, right?
0: So it was bootstrapped
1: primarily. 100% bootstrapped. And, and uh, so I built this amazing company. I had huge momentum. So I finally decided, and, and I talk about this all the time, George, that people that want to be entrepreneurs, I say, look, I understand you've got a vision in your mind about something that you wanted, that you want to do. So you've created a plan. Now, the next next step is we need to execute on that plan. Mm -hmm. And then the last step is what is your exit strategy? Okay, and I'm amazed, George, at the amount of people out there that are entrepreneurs that never think about an exit strategy and the business and the business is them. So the minute they leave the business, the business kind of evaporates. Right. So anyway, for me, I, I knew that I wanted to build my company to a certain point, to a certain valuation and then take some chips off the table because I could share with you dozens of entrepreneurs that I know that they, they wrote it up to the crescendo and then they wrote the damn thing, not all the way to the dirt, but, you know, they, they went up one side and three quarters of the way down the other. Now, did they make, did they still make a lot of money? Of course they did, but they left, you know, hundreds of millions on the table because they got emotionally tied to the business. Mm-hmm. So, for, for, so, for all of you entrepreneurs out there, very quickly, I got to five million of EBITDA. I traded at a 20-time multiple, okay? Oh, that's crazy. And 20. It's crazy, but you know why? I had so many franchise agreements that I had sold that had not yet opened, so if they call that embedded EBITDA. Gotcha. But, but the most beautiful part of being an entrepreneur, I remember I, I, I early, early in the morning, I went and I signed off on all the documents. And I'm not kidding you. I probably had... 400 signatures that I had to do and then I went to the golf course okay I went to the golf course and I remember walking down the first fairway and my phone rings and who is it it's my attorney and they said Peter um the 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 funds have landed we've closed right and I sold 40 percent of the company so I I open up my my little iPhone and I go to my bank account and there was 47 million cash in my bank account, right? I literally once again got emotional. Eyes well up, I started crying. Cause it was for that's, me. That's
0: awesome, man. What a
1: feeling. Dude. No, you know what? I looked around and my friends are wondering, what the fuck is going on with Pedro today? And I <laughs> and I'm like, I I said to him, I did it, right? I did it. I actually did it with my, you know, kind of like in awe. I knew I could, but I actually did it. And that moment as an entrepreneur, there's nothing more rewarding to that. Now, five minutes later, you're back together and you're like, okay, what's next? Right? Because now you got to drive the company. I ended up driving the company from five million of EBITDA over the next five years to twenty million of EBITDA and then sold it again and took another bite of the apple. And and my second bite of the apple was almost as big as my first bite of the apple, right? So That's, that's being an entrepreneur. And that's what I talk a lot about today with people to say, look, if if you're an innovative thinker, and if you feel like you're filling a niche or a void that's not being met today, and and, and keep in mind, then, then, then do it, right? I mean, it happens all the time. But I, I said, look, getting in is one thing, but getting out is the other side of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. If you write it into the dirt, what have you done? You haven't done a damn thing, right? It
0: seems like you were very sort of set on this vision too. And I heard a, a couple of, of your interviews and podcasts previously. Like, was this what, what was fueling you the, the whole time building this thing? Like, just getting to that to that moment where you were at the golf course, seeing your bank. I, I know it's not all about money, but obviously that's a very big part of it. Um, and just getting to that stage where you're like, shit, I actually did this. Like, this this actually happened right now. So yeah. was that, was that always feeling you like, especially the, the tough
1: times, like when you, when you sort of reminisce, is that what you would always visualize for yourself? Well, you know what? I, I knew, I knew I had a tiger by the tail early on when I was opening, you know, literally, you know, 10, 15 to 25 clubs a month, right? Brand new stores. And every time a store opens, another revenue stream opens up. So you you've got this snowball that just keeps getting bigger. So I knew I had momentum and I knew I had great people mm-hmm. and, and systems and processes in place, but I'm not going to lie to you. And I talk about it. You know what? Look, up until probably five years ago, it was all about the money, brother. Okay. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh, proud to talk about it. And, and people ask me all the time, Hey, Peter, if you had one thing to change in your life, what, what would it have been? What would it be? And you know what I tell them? I say, I I wish I would have danced more. And what I mean by that is, I sacrificed so much along the way. I was so hyper focused on the success of the business, not disappointing my franchisees, um, traveling around the world. I mean, I never said no to anything because I felt like it was my obligation, it was my duty to deliver on the promise that I had made to my franchisees. So as I sit back and I reflect about it today, I say, look, you know what? Yeah, I wish I would have danced more, I wish I would have lived a little bit more, I wish I would have taken the time to smell the roses. I mean, I was that guy, George. I would fly to Australia and I don't know if you've ever been there. It takes a day to get there. That's I would be, I would be there, I would one day on the airplane, I would work there maybe two days, two and a half days, I'd hop on a plane, I'd fly back. Okay. I would never stay and hang out for a week like most people would do. And that was what I that, that's what I did with Lyft Brands for for 15 years. I never extended anything into vacation time. It was I. I would go in like a Navy SEAL. I would go in. I would get my work done, and I would leave. Even when I was doing press conferences, I would make sure I would always fly business class. I would take whatever pills I needed to in order to get some sleep, Mm -hmm. because when my feet hit the ground, it was a routine, and they knew it. Everybody, every one of my handlers, they knew when Pedro hits the ground, he's going to. You got to have an early check-in. He's going to go. He's going to go get a workout in to clear my head. I would I would go into my room. I would get my workout clothes on. I'd grab a workout, a shower, and then I'd be in front of the press. So there was no downtime. There was no, hey, Peter's got jet lag. Let's let him sleep it out for a day. There was none of that. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a lot of hard work. I did I did everything very very efficiently. But make no mistake about it, I was burning it on both ends, and I have no regrets other than the fact that doing it today. That's why the next fifty years of my life, I'm focused, George. On on giving back. I don't know if, if you heard any of my podcasts, but look, I'm, I'm, I'm I, I've, I've made more money than I can spend. I can't spend the interest on my money. So what am I focused on? I'm focused on giving back, which is, which is what it's about, which is why I do, I, I volunteer my, my mentoring and my, and, and my consulting to, to, on, to young entrepreneurs, corporate America, I charge them a thousand an hour. However, they make the check payable to my foundation, of which I donate 100% of it. So I'm not I'm not into making money anymore. I'm into making a difference. How do I want to show up for the next 50 years of my life, right? right? So just just when, you remember, just when we started, the guy that was here for Hotwire working on the internet in my house, he started talking to me. He goes, Dude, what do you do anyway, right? So I was explaining to him, and I said, Look, here's my car. You ever need any You ever need any help, or you want some direction on whatever it is you're trying to figure out in your life? Give me a call. That's what that was about. I do, that, I do that five to 10 times a day okay. okay, because that's my way of saying, thank you, God, for this unbelievable life that you blessed me with. And now it's my turn to give back, right? So I, I own that piece, right? And anyone, anyone who's experienced you know, a 10th of the success that I have should be in that mindset, right? Yeah. Uh, how do you give back? And giving money away is easy, the hardest thing to give away, George, is your time.
0: Hundred percent. How are you spending your time now? Like when I know that you mentioned you, you moved to Miami, but what, what sort of a, a day in the life like? And I'm 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 kind of curious to see what it what what it's like now versus what it used to be when you were running Snap at like the pinnacle.
1: <laughs> so you know what? If I don't get up too late, uh, like last night I was up till one watching, of all things, Ozark. Right? On oh, that- it's
0: a great <laughs> show. <yeah. laughs>
1: it's a great show, by
0: the way. It's crazy though, man. There's there's way too many things happening in that show.
1: Right. So thank God I've just about wrapped up the second season, and then I think the third season starts. So anyway, normally I try, I try to I try to be in bed by eleven, right? Yeah. I typically I, I never set an alarm clock, and I never have. Okay, even when I was working full time, um, because I, I I know how important sleep is, but I I never you know if I see seven o'clock in the morning, George, that's sleeping in for me. All right, so for me I generally get up sometime between six and six thirty. Normally, what do I do? I come out. I I I read the good book for a while. I read the Bible for about fifteen minutes. I have a daily verse that I read. That just kind of gets my head right. Because for me, just me personally, not right or wrong, indifferent doesn't matter for me.
0: Yeah.
1: I feel like I'm indebted. Right. That that I've been blessed so much that like it's it's on me now to try to make a difference where I can. So I start with a daily devotional. I make a little post. Uh, and then I go to the gym, I get my workout out of the way, right? I got to check that box. That's good for my head. It clears my head. And then I, and then I sit down and I start thinking about, okay, what I, what do I want to do? What's the next thing? Like today, I've got two podcasts that are a couple hours apart. I start thinking about what, what are some of the, what are some of the things that I want to talk about? They're, uh, some of the people that are handling my social media, they want, they want me to start a blog. I I've have had people approach me about Peter, you should write a book, all the shit that you've done in your life. My God. You should write some sort of a book. There's a book in you, and I go, I, you know, I, I think I'd sell it to my five or six brothers and sisters. You know, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kind of playing it. I'm getting ready to launch a CBD oil company. Mm-hmm. Um, I serve on the board of a number of different companies. I'm, um, I own a lodge in the Serengeti, um, which nice. is a, a luxury camp. Um, a, a good, a dear friend of mine and I, we each own that fifty-fifty. I absolutely, absolutely love it. Another good friend of mine and I, I own part of a of a, uh, a a manufacturing company that manufactures pellets, pellets that are biodegradable. They get put into injection moldings for anything you can possibly imagine, but they're biodegradable, so that's that's good. So that's you know that's kind of what I, that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I try to I try to find some time to for me to, to just kind of chill and and take it all in. I, I want to be really careful, George, that I don't end up. Right back in the soup, right? I mean, right back into the daily grind of you know seven to seven to ten at night with no social life, and I'm, I'm not down with that, right? I want to live life a little bit.
0: yeah, I mean, it's kind of a sacrifice like you talked about. it's something you had to do back then, and I know you mentioned that there 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 wasn't any regrets, but when you say like looking back at it, you, you know you would you would dance a little more. Does that mean having fun with it a little more or being more present in the moment, like when you're actually in, in that process?
1: Both. Yeah. yeah. Both, uh, uh, George. It was, you know what I mean? Just, uh, just stopping and chilling a little bit. Like, mm. my gosh, Peter, I mean, you're going to fly all the way to Australia and you can't stay an extra couple of days and just, you know, experience the culture, you know, that, or, you know, just, you know, experiencing life and some of the fruits of the work that I was doing. Right. It's, I had a difficult time doing that, and I, and I think, honestly, I learned that from my father, because my dad would get up in the morning, he'd get up at dark, and he'd go to bed at dark, right, and I watched him do that, now, God bless him, right, he's trying to feed seven kids, right, On a, in a small That's grocery right. store, so I get it, you do you do what you got to do, but yeah, for me, that that would be it. Just uh, just to have a little bit more balance in my life, with my family, with my friends, with my work, those three things. And do you, you, you looking back spiritually?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm just kind of curious, like when you were building this, um, what was the proudest moment? Like, was it being on that golf course? Like if you were to look back, pick that one moment that you were super proud, um, maybe it was an interaction with your parents, a sibling, a friend. Like what was that when you felt like I really made it, aside from obviously that scenario when you, when you were on the golf course, but what, what made you, aside from the money, what was, what was the, probably the happiest thing that you, that you can look back on?
1: Well, I think the idea of creating a concept and literally I mean I remember sitting with my my family and drawing um, like the the operations manual of the franchise, right so which was meticulous to detail. for instance, in a franchise, where do the where, what what's the lighting configuration look like? What does the floor plan look like? Where are the signs put? You can't leave anything to chance. It, it, the whole idea behind franchising is consistency within the product. And the more vaguely you write things, the more co- the more inconsistent the product is going to be to the consumer. So some of the best franchises ever made are the ones that create consistency within the product. We'll just use McDonald's as an example. We, you and I could go to five different McDonald's. We may have a different dining experience, meaning the, the person at the drive-thru may have and not the right personality, mm-hmm. but make no mistake about it. That burger is going to taste the same. Okay. And the same as in franchising. You know what? The product blend should be the same. The staff should be trained to deliver on a promise. They're pleasant. They're engaging. So, you know, for, for me, those are, those are, those moments are, are really thought provoking the whole thought behind creating the manual, um, creating the sales guide, Then going to the market and actually selling it and having the dogs eat the dog food, having people look at the product and say, I'm willing to give it a go. And keep in mind, when I came to market with my product, I was selling enough memberships in 90 days to cash flow the business for the year. So the validation was off the charts. So, you know, I had no problem selling. I was taking orders. I wasn't selling. You Mm -hmm. follow me? So I knew at that point, George, that I had something that was really scalable and had potential to be huge.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds sort of like the the culture you were just embedding was was pretty much the biggest differentiator. You know, the way your your staff would treat customers, the experience. Because I think, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I I think you'd agree with this is that if you go to any gym, I th- I think in, in between both is is really the experience. When I walk into a gym, I think that's what I'm looking for, right? Obviously the cleanliness, the equipment, but I just want to be, that's why we go to a gym. It's kind of a social thing. Even if you work out alone, you're, everybody's in this group and you're all working on yourself. You're building your muscle. Like there, there's some sort of social aspect to this whole thing. And you want to feel special coming in and out.
1: You're right on point there, George. And you know what? I've been talking about this for years. It's not about faster treadmills or heavier weights anymore. That's not, has nothing to do with it anymore. Yeah. It's the, it's the culture that you can generate within the four walls of your club. And that's why it, that's why the fastest growing segment within the wellness space is the boutique little studio where they do group fitness functional training. You've got one instructor mic'd up and and she's pushing she's pushing the hell out of you. I did it just the other day. I did a Barry's Camp, right? Mm-hmm. One instructor, there's probably 25 of us in the class and she beat us like a bunch of dogs, right? <laughs> But for fifty minutes, it was it was just intense, and I was done. Right, so th- that's what's relevant today. You got to be able to deliver. You got to be able to deliver that high intensity workout where people are going to get the results they're looking for.
0: Got you. I got one more for you before we uh, we close this chapter. But and I know you talked a bit about sort of advice for millennials. But what's what's that one thing that you feel helped you the most looking back in your career um, that, that you sort of would give as advice to people listening, young or old?
1: You know what? That's an easy one for me. The first thing that I would tell people is, look, number number one, you you have to have patience, okay? Mm -hmm. Because nothing happens fast, fast anymore. Number two, have your head in the right place because you are going to experience adversity, and adversity is not a bad thing, okay? Adversity and failure are character-building moments. You hear me talk about it all the time, George. I say, look, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. Okay. And it's a true statement. You get nothing, I don't care what it is you're doing, nothing is is straight up and to the right like a hockey stick. It just doesn't work that way. Right. So you got to believe in it. Find something that you're absolutely passionate about. Because if you're not passionate about it, you're gonna quit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Steve Jobs said. If you if if you're gonna get into business for yourself, you gotta be a little you gotta be half crazy. Okay. You gotta be half crazy. And he's right. It's true because it's, it's, it's gut wrenching. Nine out of 10 of them fail. And, and, you know, so you got to have a little crazy in you. And, and, um, but I tell you what, there's nothing more rewarding. So just go into it with the right mindset and and the mentoring that I do, what I see most of George is just that people get this pie in the sky vision that this is going to be easy. They create this fancy spreadsheet where, Every year, the money just keeps you know adding 30 percent a year, year over year. You know, it's it, spreadsheets. They're easy to make, but you know they're hard to execute on, right? So, it's just it's just my word of advice is look, you just got to have the guts, you got to have the stomach for it, and just be tenacious. Don't quit.
0: I love it. I love it. Oh, well, thanks so much, man. Thanks for being here, Peter, and uh, just kind of sharing that experience, the story, the insight. I'm sure a lot of people will find this of value, man, including myself.
1: No, hey, I, it, it's it's my pleasure. Anything I can ever do for you, George? We're friends now. You have my direct number. You call me on anything, okay?
0: If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. And I'll see you next time.